You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, at least it is for this five minutes uh, looking out my window at blue sky and white fluffy clouds. 15 minutes ago it was pouring rain and dark and stormy It'll probably be pouring rain and dark and stormy in another 15 minutes. Uh, it's just that time of the year here in the Pacific Northwest where it just, you know, don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. But it's a great thing having a little rain because it, it, it definitely put a damper on the wildfires, at least any new ones, and, and slowed the growth of the existing ones. And it's really... Uh, you know, a good thing for our air quality too. You know, after we had that show talking with Merlin Huff of the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency uh, about how bad the air quality has been here in Lane County, uh, it's nice to go on their website and see an air quality index of 25 or 27 or 22, which is way down in the good range and uh, just, uh, Really nice to have that good, clean Northwest air back rather than the, the smoke that we were dealing with uh, from all the wildfires. And, and you know, speaking of the wildfires, I just got to mention this a little bit. That I was listening to an interview with uh, uh, Tra- Travis Joseph of um, the American Forest Resource Institute, I think, AFRI. I believe that's it. Uh, but um, it's on the uh, Lars Larson show, and he had this uh, statistics that there was a, just about 50% of the ignitions of wildfires in Oregon this year were on U.S. Forest Service protected lands, and about 50% were on Oregon Department of Forestry protected lands, and that's the ODF lands are the BLM uh uh, ONC railroad lands and the private sector lands and state forests uh, that Oregon Department of Forestry protects. So about even amount of, of uh, wildfire ignitions on the two different land, two different uh, landowners uh, or protection agencies. Yet 93% of the acres burned are on U.S. Forest Service lands in Oregon because. ODF protected lands, they put the damn fires out right away. But we we spent almost a full show talking about U.S. Forest Service and their their current policies that that allow fires just to burn and smolder until they get out of hand, and then next thing you know, they're occup- they're employing people for 60 days till the rain starts, like it's just done. But uh, that's just. Uh, was an interesting little tidbit I heard on 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 the radio and and uh, a surprising not unsurprising st- statistic to me because I know about ODS initial attack policies and how they really try to get on fires right away while they're small, get them under control, get them put out uh, and mopped up so they don't become massive 190,000 acre monsters that the Checo Bar Fire is down in. Southwestern Oregon right now. But we've got a few other things to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show, and today is a free-for-all day, so we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Just call us at 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646 721 
9887 to talk to me here on the Bo's Nose Show. And just press one once you get through. And it lets us uh, know you want to get in on the air. You can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can do that between shows. If you have a suggestion for a guest I should bring on or a topic you want me to address on my next show or a question you want me to answer, a uh, good way to get a hold of us here at the uh, Bo's Nose Show and KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. In fact, you can go to the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page, and we are live streaming our show now, uh, the audio portion of it, and uh, listen to us there. So I have a bunch of things on my list for today because it's been a busy week. Uh, back, you know, I was kind of telling Robin I'd almost rather take a nap than do a radio show because I'm tired. But it do- doesn't help that I took my World War II veteran father-in-law out um, to go grocery shopping at Fred Meyer's at, around lunchtime today, and I said we'd stop and get some lunch. And when I asked him what he wanted for lunch, uh, he wasn't interested in a hamburger or something like that. He wanted me to take him to Cal's Donuts for a maple bar and a cup of coffee. So I had donuts for lunch, and I think I'm having sugar coma now. So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, when you're 93 years old and you served our country in World War II, if you want donuts for lunch, damn it, you can have donuts for lunch. <laughs> uh, just, uh, he, he's a bad influence on me. What can I say? But we got all sorts of topics for you today. Uh, you know, we can talk about this new law that's coming into play here in a couple of weeks, uh, October 1st, on distracted driving here in Oregon, where you can't use any um, device, handheld device, uh, or a device that takes your eyes from the road, uh, unless it's a built-in device to your car that's a voice command device uh, or has a one-touch function which is kind of interesting because my sync system in my uh, Ford Flex, which, you know, Bluetooth into my phone, would be considered one of those built-in systems that, that's voice command. But for me to dial somebody out on the phone, I have to press two buttons. So I don't know if I'm really violating the law because I've got to first press the phone button and then the uh, voice command button so it's listening to me. Uh, that's Kind of, you know, not quite sure if I'm violating law. Answer the phone is pretty easy. All I have to do is uh, hit the button and it answers. So it's a single touch for an answer to the phone. But uh, so it's going to be interesting, uh, that new law. I, I have a feeling it actually may have some pretty unintended consequences because I have a feeling folks are going to start looking down uh, a lot more because they're going to be holding their phones below their window levels to try and keep cops from seeing them so they don't know um, that they're not using a touchless device to look down and to at least hit the answer button and all that uh, and and I have to, that's going to take people's eyes away from the road even longer but uh, it's kind of one of those things where I think the legislature is trying to get so specific with how they write these distracted driving laws I mean they're they're even before the, the hands-free law where you had to go, you couldn't use a uh, handheld cell phone, um, there was a distracted driving law on the books and still is. Bust you for any sort of distracted driving. I mean, if you're paying too much attention to your Big Mac or you're putting on eye makeup in your rearview mirror, um, you can get pulled over and given a ticket for that. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's already on the books, but the legislature decided they had to describe everything because they were concerned about people that were using navigation systems or scrolling through their playlist or checking their Facebook pages while driving. So they had to, to try and describe every possible thing you couldn't do and in doing so and then describing very specifically what was allowed and in doing so. I think they may. Uh, have uh, thrown the baby out with the bathwater and and they're causing all sorts of problems for um, you know some of the uh, construction and trucking industries. They also have been uh, really uh, you kind of wonder you know how much you can legislate away 
stupidity. Uh, it get, you, it's just one of those things where I just I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those laws that's going to constantly have to be rewritten because they're going to figure out that it's causing more problems than it's solving. And uh, it's just uh, one of those things where just have a law that says you will not try, you know, distracted. You know, whether that means you're turning around because your kids are fighting in the back seat or you've got a cell phone up to your ear and you're going 20 miles under the speed limit because you're too busy talking on the phone and not paying attention. Um, either of those should be uh, a ticket. <laughs> so, and, and just, you know, people should be smart enough. You know, if you've got a big distraction, pull over, turn into the next driveway or something like that, pull off the shoulder of the road, deal with whatever's distracting you, then get back into traffic undistracted. Um, that That's uh, really the, the big lesson in all this is, you know, distracted driving is dangerous. It is stupid. But I think, you know, some of these laws have just gone so far. And, and then, you know, I had on my list of things to talk about a construction excise tax. And you guys are probably scratching your head. What do you mean a construction excise tax? Well, it was something that was put on um, our agenda by uh, commission at the request of Commissioner Pete Sorensen, who wanted to look at it as a possibility to raise funds to uh, support affordable housing efforts and all that. And what it is is a tax that um, somebody building a home or, or uh, doing some new construction, when they get a permit from the county, they would pay one percent of the value of whatever they were constructing and it's estimated based on last year's permitting that would raise a little over about eight hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars with last year's permit activity uh, which would be more than fifty percent of what we collected in total permit fees so it basically be um, you know adding 50% to the cost of the permits for a home. And that's not including the system development charges and all that. That's just the straight uh, building permit fee. And I kind of expressed pretty succinctly in the meeting that uh, I wasn't really interested in looking at this because it's one of those things where we're going to tax the home building industry to generate revenue to redistribute it for folks supposedly to get more affordable housing. And it's one of those cases where we're going to actually raise the cost of, ha of housing by taxing it. And it's supposedly us at government is going to manage that money in a way that produces affordable housing for people better than the free market might distribute that money if it was left in and kept the housing prices down you know, if that 1% additional tax weren't there, um, you know, that's, it's basically raising the cost of houses by 1%. And it's just one of those things where, you know, you hear that this over and over again, where um, folks in government want to create some new revenue stream so they can redistribute it back out in, and, and, and invest, you know, they always call it investing in, in various things. Like um, there's all this talk about the carbon cap and invest program, which is very similar to this idea of a construction excise tax, where they're going to tax energy and then reinvest it in alternative forms of energy. And that's supposed to generate economic activity and increase the economy. It's like, how can you take money out of the economy, put the overhead of government on it, and then you know, so you're taking away all that overhead. So you're you're actually putting money back in that's already got anywhere from uh, 10 to 50 percent disappears into the government coffers and paying people there. You know, and then then put it back out into the economy uh, directed by people that don't know a whole lot about where the best places to invest it is. May not be the most efficient uses of that money. And that's supposedly going to generate more economic activity if you, than if you just left it back out in the economy in the first place. 
And, and that's kind of the whole idea of this construction excise tax that was brought up the other day. We haven't finished that discussion. It kind of got cut off um, at the board meeting on Tuesday. So we're going to bring it's coming back to us at the request of Commissioner Sorensen. Uh, but as you can probably tell, I'm not very um, interested in, in Lane County implementing it. In fact, there's only two other uh, counties that really have done it, and that uh, those are all up north, like Multnomah County and Clatsop County. And uh, that they're kind of the those same sort of counties that are controlled by folks that, that think central government's going to be able to um, handle money better than the private economy can. And I just, I, I, it's always been proven that central control does not work well. Uh, affordable housing is an issue. Uh, we've hit a record for median price homes here in Lane County this last month of $313,000 was the median price for a home sold in the last month. That is a pretty incredible amount of money. There's not too many people uh, at the median income that can even finance uh, 80% of 313,000, let alone have the 20% of that socked away somewhere, either in, in their existing housing or whatever, to come up with their 20%. So um, it just, you can't, you can see why there is an issue with affordable housing here in Lane County with that kind of price, but this is not solution to it. Uh, the solution is to get more supply into the pipeline so the prices uh, can come down. And I think uh, there are other ways of doing that than trying to tax housing, which will make it more expensive, and then trying to redistribute that money to either build more affordable housing or to subsidize folks getting into housing. You know, it's, it's kind of silly. Um, you know, take tax money away from, you know, and add 1% of the cost of housing so we can maybe subsidize uh, somebody's down payment on a house or something like that, which costs 1% more because because the, the tax we had on it. Um, and, and and somewhere in a lot along the lines, somebody's got to run that program. Somebody's got to collect the excise tax. Somebody's got to account for it. Somebody's got to redistribute it, which means there's going to be overhead. So just not something I, I think of as, as how we should do business um, as a government. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of those places where um, really government shouldn't get into that sort of thing. We shouldn't be taxing to generate revenue to spend it again in, in the, out the private sector. We shouldn't be picking winners and losers. And that's just... Uh, some of my thoughts and kind of that's where my my libertarian free market capitalist side comes in sometimes it's just uh you uh, if you can disagree with me you can call me at 646-721-9887 just press one if you want to get in on the conversation and of course um other stuff in the news we might want to talk about national monuments and the leaked draft memo from uh interior secretary Ryan Zinke to the uh, administration uh, on national monuments and in particular um, wanting to go back and get rid of the expansion of the Siskiyou National Monument down in Southern Oregon that President Obama put in place uh, eight days before he left office. Um, that, you know, that included some Oregon and, and California lands, which were actually designated under an act of Congress to specifically be held in trust for the counties to produce timber revenue for the counties. So he took lands that had been, um, were subject to an act of Congress and said, you know, we're going to throw them in this national monument and they're no longer going to be harvested ever again. So he, with an executive order, he overrode a congressional act. You know, so I think that's a pretty clear violation of his authorities because uh, the National Monuments Act, I don't think can override uh, 
a congressional act that's dated later than the National Monuments Act. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, where that plays out in some ways. But I, I have to agree with the Zinke memo that that expansion really should be rolled back. It even included uh, some private lands in it without going through the due process of of um, any sort of taking of that land you know, and compensation, et cetera. It just it was an amazing um, unconstitutional uh, grab by the Obama administration to expand that monument the way they did. Uh, and an extremely unpopular one. I don't know what the Register Guard's thinking with their editorial this morning that that was a popular move to expand that monument, but uh, the entire Jackson County uh, Board of Commissioners voted unanimously against the expansion of that monument, and that's the county that that monument sits in and where the expansion was. The ONC Counties Association voted against it, um, which is a group of 18 counties and their county commissioners, uh, you know, and those are the representative, the local representatives of the people that are most affected. And uh, it just was not a popular expansion, uh, no matter, you know, how you want to try and make that sound like that's what the people wanted. Um, it wasn't. So just amazes me how, um, things work in Washington, D.C. sometimes, but we can talk about national monuments. We also talk about marijuana grows. That was on my mind this week as we had the second week in a row, we've had people come in for public comment and every week at the Board of Commissioners meeting, just like the Bose Nose Show here, where you can call and talk to me direct, directly, folks can come into our Board of Commissioners meeting and we start one of the second items usually on our agenda is public comment. And you can come and talk to the Board of Commissioners live face-to-face -face for three minutes. Basically, it's not really a conversation. You get to basically say whatever you want and then go sit down. Um, and then we respond after all everybody else is done giving with their three minutes. We may respond to you directly or, or later. Um, but it, we had people come in for the second week in a row, probably, um, you know, on top of all of the emails and phone calls I get about marijuana grows, but specifically to complain about a marijuana grow down in the Cottage Grove area. And uh, just the concerns about smell, about, um, you know, some of the intimidation that, you know, again, that's gone on out there um, where, you know, somebody walked down the road and took a couple photographs from the road to, um, be able to include them uh, in some of their testimony and then got followed home by somebody that was um, hoping carrying a, a pistol on his hip, which is legal, but it still is pretty intimidating to be followed all the way back to your house uh, several properties away, you know, uh, you know, kind of being shadowed by somebody that's armed. Uh, it kind of amazes me that, that um, Whoever that owns that grow can't talk to their security people about maybe being a little bit more sensitive to the neighbors and and uh, not doing things like that because all it does is generate more animosity and more complaints about them. Uh, you think that you want to try and fly as low under the radar and let somebody else um, come to the focus of the local county commissioners the state senators and state representatives these folks are also complaining to just uh you know and we've got jeff sessions who's in oregon yesterday uh our attorney general for the u.s who has basically said oregon's got to get its act together when it comes to its legalized marijuana program because uh unlike the obama administration that kind of turned a blind eye um, you know, there's not a lot of support for legalized marijuana with the with the uh, attorney general sessions. And I think he's OK, maybe letting states rights um, prevail to some degree if we're not supplying the black market going into other states. And unfortunately, the more recent studies of the black market 
in the U.S. shows that the majority of the pot in the black market in the U.S. is coming from Oregon. So, you know, nothing like, you know, if you're going to be you know, trying to make money growing recreational marijuana here in Oregon, you think you'd want to try and keep your neighbors happy, fly below the radar, uh, keep control of your inventory and all that stuff, because you don't want the federal government to decide that they're going to just start prosecuting because uh, you may be legal under Oregon law, but you're committing a federal felony right now. And particularly at the levels of production of this particular grow down in the cottage grove area that folks are complaining about, it's acres and acres. I mean, you know, probably tons of pot being grown down there. I mean, they'll they'll spend, you know, 10 or 20 years in a federal penitentiary for that if they decide that they're going to just, you know, start cracking down on Oregon. And, I'm, and my guess is they'll go after whoever was um, complained about the most first. And you're not going to hide that sort of stuff. You know, it shows up in aerial photos uh, and Google Earth right now that, that you're growing. It just it amazes me that that um, anyone that's growing uh, marijuana and cannabis uh, in in Oregon under the recreational program or even under the medical program doesn't do everything in their possibility to be a good neighbor because they they you know we are under the microscope uh, not only for our our legalized marijuana program, but also for our immigration uh, stances here in, in Oregon. Uh, fortunately, Lane County's taken a stance that uh, allows us not to be considered a sanctuary county. We still uh, allow immigration agents into our jails. Uh, unlike Multnomah County, that's kind of booted them out uh, and and won't notify them when they're releasing people. And actually, I've heard that it's become kind of a game for them to release somebody that's got that ICE had requested a hold on and uh, watch the foot chases outside the jail in the parking lot there in Multnomah County. Um, that that's become entertainment for some of the staff there. Uh, then they wonder why um, AG Sessions is talking about withholding federal funds from some of these jurisdictions uh, when that's the level of, of uh, cooperation with our federal government when it comes to folks that have actually committed a crime. You know, a, a crime not related to their immigration status uh, and and then on top of it have have uh, illegitimate immigration status. Uh, it just amazes me in some ways that some of the thought process up there in Multnomah County and and uh, some of these other jurisdictions. Uh, so it's kind of like we're in two ways under the radar of the the of the Trump administration. And uh, if I was if I was a recreational pot grower, I'd be a little bit nervous right now. You know, as long as as long as uh, Oregon keeps thumbing its nose at the Trump administration. They may just decide that they're going to make uh, an example out of Oregon and come in with uh, federal DEA agents and just bust some of these openly uh, growing grow operations uh, and you know take the owners of the land and everything else. You know, there's you know all the various forfeiture laws that come with drugs. Uh, it could be a bad scene. So. Hopefully, though, Secretary of State Dennis Richardson's doing an audit of some of this uh, recreational um, growth system, uh, particularly with all the cash uh, involved in the system and whether we're, we're uh, accounting for it well enough to be collecting the correct amount of taxes from the growers and, and the and the uh, rec the uh, retail sales outlets and everything. Um, so hopefully his audit will actually bring some uh, some of this under control too. You know, I'm all you know. I've said before, you know, on the on on the show, said it last week. You know, I'm a libertarian. I believe in in, in legalized marijuana. Uh, 
but folks have got to do it well or they're going to they're going to come under the scrutiny of the federal government where it's still illegal and uh we're going to see a crackdown and i i think um need to be careful and if i was some of the growers that are are doing a good job i might be wanting to talk to the owners of that grow down there uh in uh i think it's called seat north cedar park road uh outside of cottage grove um and and really uh, ask them to kind of be a good neighbor you're gonna you're gonna draw attention to the rest of us uh, and they might even want to start talking with uh kate brown and some of the folks up there in Multnomah County about maybe uh, not thumbing the nose at, at, at the administration on the immigration side. I mean, it doesn't take much to not be considered a sanctuary county. You don't have to go out and help them find illegal aliens and, and arrest illegal aliens or help them deport it. All you have to do is communicate once you've arrested somebody for another crime. Uh, with ICE, and then uh, you don't even have to hold them longer than than you have to. It's up to ICE to get there uh, if they want to come and detain that person. Um, but you need you ought to you know you ought to at least allow ICE access to your jail, which they're denying. Uh, and yeah, you know, we got judges that are letting people out of back doors and stuff like that up in the Portland area um, to try and try and actually impede federal law enforcement officers uh, instead of, you know, assisting. But that's uh, kind of was on my mind was all this marijuana stuff, how it ties into our Secretary of State and this, uh, Attorney General Sessions. Yeah, so there, there's a whole bunch there I've thrown on the table for topics, uh, distracted driving, construction excise taxes, national monuments, marijuana. Uh, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. The number here at the Bose Nose Show is 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And, uh, you can do that anytime between shows. You can also catch us on Facebook, uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio on Facebook. Uh, as soon as you get KRBN Radio, you'll probably find us on Facebook. Uh, if I can jump in here for a minute. Sure, Robin. Uh, talk about distracted driving. Let's talk about 6th and 7th Street this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for what people don't know, what we're talking about is that on 6th and 7th Street in Eugene, it used to be a really nice, straight thoroughfare, and with the lights coordinated, and you can just kind of, you know, 30 miles an hour go straight through. Well, since they put in our new bus system called the EMX, apparently they decided that straight lines are no longer allowed and random lights, so when it's raining and dark, you can't between the lines to see where you're going anymore. Yeah. Because it's literally like fishtailing or, or following some sort of maze. Yeah. Well, it, it's insane what they did to, uh, particularly 6th Avenue, as, as as you go westbound through from downtown. They have lanes that suddenly become you know, left-turn only lanes and end with very little warning. So people are constantly getting to the end of those lanes and having to merge in, in traffic without a whole lot of warning. Um, they have lanes that shift over a lane. You know, as you go through the intersection, they're shifting. And then that shortly after the intersection, the outside lane ends again, down there past Blair. And then you get down to uh, um, Garfield and one of the lanes becomes a left turn only lane with almost no warning. People are constantly trying to squeeze over and it causes this, these backups because people don't know how to do it. And in the bus, this bus slash turn lane that they've got going down there that's supposed to be where the actual uh, MX bus rapid transit is supposed to run, um, just as, you know, people don't, you know, 
people are turning left from the drive lanes because they don't feel like they're allowed over there because they see the bus only signs, but they also, you know, aren't understanding it's a left turn only also sign. And it used to be such a straightforward roadway. It was four lanes wide the whole way down there. There were no lanes that suddenly ended like that. And, and as you went through an intersection, if you were in a lane and went straight through, you were still in the same lane. And I, I agree with you, Robin, when that when it rains and you can't see those lines well in the dark and they're they're weaving those those lanes around because they're adding and subtracting them all over the place. That's gotten really dangerous down there. I had somebody uh, just today as I was driving, I had to get go out to uh, Ferguson Plumbing to pick up something for, for the house on the way home and uh, had somebody today go all the way up to Garfield and then, then suddenly you know, realize that they were in the wrong lane, drive across the intersection into the uh, shoulder, you know, kind of across there and then merge. You know, went straight through the intersection and from the, the left turn only lane. Because um, that's, you know, they're, you know, people from out of town or people that are new to that intersection and I, and, you know, they claim that it was actually going to add capacity. There's no way in hell more cars get through those intersections and down that roadway than they did when it was a four four lane straight. Exactly. And then throw in uh, if you got a bus in that lane and you want to make a, a right or left turn, depending on what side the bus is on, <clears throat> and you time it wrong or the bus decides to move, you know, you're getting ready to turn left, say, for example, and the bus is over there picking up passengers, then it decides to move. Next thing you know, you you, you miss your turn or you got to wait for the bus to get out of the way or go in front of the bus or do something to make that turn. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, my guess is the number of accidents on that road are going to drastically increase. Yeah. It's just, it, it makes it really um, kind of spooky to, to go up and down that road because you just, you know, making turns out into it, you got to cross over that bus lane. Um, at least they didn't do something as stupid as they did on West 11th up there, where they actually have the bus lane, then a bike lane, and then the traveled lanes. Okay. <laughs> you know, up there by Selco, um, Credit Union uh, around uh, from about High Street down to uh, uh, Willamette, where they've got that or so. That that one just drives me crazy. I feel like I'm taking my life in my hands if I'm going to make a right turn onto one of those roads there, because you know you just don't know. Particularly if the bus comes along and suddenly you know nails you as you're trying to move over in that turn lane, or or uh, you know worried about crossing with bikes and everything. I, I I can't imagine a cyclist riding that road. As 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 there's weaving movements from one lane to the other uh, across the bike lane. Well, it makes you wonder if they actually ran a, a simulation or some type of model when they came up with this. I mean, even getting getting back to Sixth and Seventh Street, is that I'm what was the thinking of? I mean, I, I see they wanted to add a separate dedicated bus lane, but why have the roads weave? Yeah. Yeah, I, that that one I don't get. Why the roads have to, had to weave and and all that. I think it was all about they kept trying to not take property from people because their first designs had them pretty straight, but they would have to um, condemn a bunch of property. So they chose to to weave it some in some places and narrow the lanes up and and it just made a mess out of it. Project shouldn't have gone anyway. Yeah, you know, understanding you know, what bus rapid transit is, it's a bus that comes every six minutes. You know, and the idea is you give those buses more of a dedicated lane so they can get ahead of the rest of the traffic. They get priority at the traffic lights, you know, because they have the way the signals work, they'll get they'll get the green first, you know, so they get to start up ahead of other people. Um, you know, various things like that. They're supposed to keep the bus moving because the, the real issue was the regular buses and regular traffic sometimes would get, if traffic got heavy, they might get behind on their route schedule or something like that as traffic gets heavier over time. And that was the big concern. That was the idea of bus rapid transit was supposed to cure that. 
But along with that every six minute service, they spread the stops out. The stops are further apart than normal bus stops are. So you have to walk further to get to a MX stop than, a reg than the old uh, bus stops were. And because you're running six buses around, you know, in, in that same hour, because you got to, you know, it takes about an hour to make the route, the actual operating costs are higher. So even though they come more often, the stops are further apart and there's a much, much higher cost operating that kind of system. So, you know, what happens is they get all this federal money and state money to build the route. It was like 75 million in federal funds and 25 million in state funds, which, by the way, because they got that big bucket of money from the state, there's a requirement that 1% of the state money be spent on art. And I understand there's just a lovely $600,000 piece of art now um, on this route. Uh, <laughs> Where's that? Uh, somewhere on West 11th. I haven't actually seen it yet. I had somebody contact me and going, who the hell okayed this? <laughs> and I had to explain about the 1% for art stuff. But apparently it's a, um, a piece of art honoring, um, you know, honoring somebody that should be honored. But still, it's, it's uh, just an example of adding 1% to the cost of something. Um, purely because there's a state rule that says 1% of the state funds have to be spent on art. You know, yeah. I, I think that actually designing potholes should be art. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. With what, a smooth road, you know, should be, should be an art. Anything could be art. Getting back to that whole extra operating cost, MX. So they get money for the capital cost. They build this, this system. And then they don't, they, they were short money for operating the system anyway. They're already having trouble balancing their budget because the cost of running a bus system has been increasing faster than the revenue stream, which is ridership and, and uh, payroll taxes. And so what they have, so they add in this new system that's actually got a higher operating cost. And in order to afford that, what do they cut? All the local routes through the neighborhoods. So, you know, the, the whole idea is this is, you know, this bus system is supposed to serve seniors and, and disabled people that can't drive a car. Well, they put the stops further apart. So seniors have to walk further and disabled people have to get their wheelchairs or whatever further. And then they cut the routes through the neighborhoods that would have connected to this. So how are some of those seniors and disabled people even going to get down to those further apart bus stops? Because they've eliminated neighborhood services. You know, it's it's really not the direction mass transit should be going. Is these high operating cost systems? They should really be thinking about who they're serving, who their core ridership is, and that's folks that for some reason you know lost their driver's license because of a Dewey, or they're, they they can't afford their car insurance. You know, on the edge. Uh, living in these neighborhoods that need to get to and from work and to and from the store. And when you design a system that's going to only run, you know, down the main thoroughfares and not out into the neighborhoods, you're not serving those people that are your core ridership. Exactly. That's why they got rid of some of those little breeze buses. But also when you think about it, what's the real difference between these EMX buses and the other standard accordion buses, other than the fact that the EMX costs literally three times as much as the standard accordion bus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, 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 you know, I, I didn't like the, I, the concept from the beginning. Uh, and although I will say one thing about bus rapid transit, it's better than light rail. <laughs> oh, what's, uh, what's kind of interesting, an LTD put out a, uh, challenge on Facebook calling a driverless day or drive free day or something like that, you know, challenging drivers to see if they can drive less for, for a day and take the bus. And the majority of the comments that were put in there were not nice uh, towards the bus company. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. It just, um, sometimes they can be a little tone deaf to the point where, they kept sending me invitations to the grand opening of this new West Eugene MX line. Uh, 
-hmm. And I kept having to remind them that I was the only elected official that voted against it. (laughs) Yet they kept inviting me to the grand opening. It's like, do you guys not get what no means? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, they... When they got federal money coming in and they got uh, state money coming in, they got money coming in from advertising, uh, they got uh, employment tax, um, self-employment tax. I mean, they they get it from just about every revenue stream you can think of. Why are they going to stop? And we don't get to vote for their board of directors. Right. They're an appointed board. So it's taxation without representation. And uh, they're going the wrong direction with what a mass transit system ought to be doing. You know, it's really, uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the long run, the whole MX system. You know, at least it's not light rail. You know, if we trash the MX system, they can convert those lanes back to traveled lanes uh, to some degree, restrike the roadways, and we'll be done with it. <laughs> Go back to regular buses. Yeah, I did. well, unless ridership is totally, uh, totally bad, I can't see them doing that. But it would make more sense to, you know, again, like I say, the little breeze buses in the rural areas. Um, I mean, just yeah. like like here in East Springfield to go to West Eugene takes over an hour uh, by bus, and again, you have to walk to the route, get wet and everything, and but by car, it's 15 minutes. Yeah. Yep. You're just not going to displace the automobile that easily. And as we start talking about the future of the automobile, we have, you know, we are probably 10 years away from starting to see a dominance in self-driving vehicles. And particularly electric charging self-driving vehicles that will have low emissions. I don't like calling any vehicle a no emission vehicle because there had, you had to construct it using energy, and if you're charging it, that energy had some kind of uh, cost, uh, emission cost to it in some ways, uh, even if it's hydro to some extent. Um, but, you know, think about the future that there may be, just like you have Uber now, rather than somebody pulling up and you ask the driver, you know, are you so-and-so? Cause you've got that on your little Uber app or your Lyft app. And, uh, you know, you tell, you know, they know where you're going to go because you've already set, put that into the app, what your destination was. Um, we're going to start seeing a, a, a vehicle pull up with no driver in it. You know, so, so what's going to be more, uh, popular for, you out in West East Springfield to get to West Eugene, take pulling out your your cell phone uh, and and calling up a driverless car that's going to pull up to your front door, let you get in with all your packages or whatever else, and get to your destination and and take you to the front door of your destination. <laughs> or you want to go walk down to the bus stop stand out in the weather for a while, take over an hour, transfer three times or whatever it is, and end up uh, having to walk from the bus stop to your destination, schlepping all your packages. Well, and having to deal with whatever homeless or or whatever, you know, when you think about mass transit can be dangerous because you're, you're out in public and you're trapped or you're waiting for somebody, especially if it's at night. Yeah. But as a like the Google driving self-driving car, I would you know I would kind of like that. The only thing I would be hesitant about is who rode in the car before me and what did they leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So that, I mean, there'll there'll be kinks to work out with all that, um, but to some degree, that that's that's the future. Not not putting massive buses on mainline transportation routes with widespread apart stops uh, at a higher operating cost. I just don't see that being the future of transportation. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, it's like the the jump drive replacing the the CD. Buses are going to be replaced by either 
you know, smaller autonomous vehicles, you know, like smaller buses or something like that for larger groups, making a couple loops um, in an area and then fed by smaller arterial by the, the one or two seater cars that are autonomous. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it's kind of funny you mentioned, you know, jump drives replacing CDs. Um, CDs replace floppy drives. Exactly. <laughs> floppy disks, remember? Yep. Remember those things? You still Boy, have. Now, now I am showing my age. <laughs> hey, I still have eight-inch floppies. Oh, my goodness. Those are the big big ones. Yeah. Yeah. I do well, not have disk packs, but I do have eight-inch floppies. Well, I remember um, using uh, key punch machines where they printed out on a little tape, uh -huh. and 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 the little tape dot, you know, those little tapes had the dots punched out. Yeah, um, and you that's, fed tape into the into the into the uh, teletype machine. That's where bootstrapping originally came about. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, I remember carrying those tapes around with me, trying, trying not to get them wrinkled or crinkled or anything because they wouldn't run through the damn machine. It, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Now I'm really showing my age. Back in the days when you walked into a computer room and it was really impressive. Well, I remember we had a whole building at, at the University of Maryland where the Unix computer was. Yeah. I had a friend that had a PDP-11 server in his garage, which is looked like about three refrigerators and a disk pack. Now it's uh, your cell phone has more power than that thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of tough to predict the future when it comes to everything from transportation, but it's going to be really difficult for the American public to completely go away from the freedom that the automobile and individual transportation options uh, rather than mass transit, you know, it's it's just uh, unless you get to the density level of a New York City, uh, you're just not going to see people give up the the convenience of an automobile. Uh, speaking of the future, you know, it'd be really awesome, Jay. What? If some people that are listening either now or later will hit that like button on Facebook and tell their friends and join us next Wednesday. That would be. Pretty awesome. <laughs> oh gosh, um, yeah, you know that is true. We do need people to like our Facebook page, uh, KRBN Internet Radio, and uh, that kind of helps. When you like our page, your friends start seeing some of our posts, and the way all the algorithms that sit behind uh, Facebook uh, work. The more likes we have, the more people will see the Facebook. Um, page and and become aware of the fact that every Wednesday at four o'clock uh, one of your Lane County commissioners goes on live radio so to speak uh, to talk to you about whatever you want to talk about in fact there's still five minutes left in the show here where you can get a hold of me at 646-721-9887 and uh, we can have a conversation about any topic you want to talk about and you know, there's one topic we haven't brought up today, and I know it's probably pretty big on some people's minds, and that's um, the fact that the largest bargaining unit that Lane County um, has is, has the possibility of going on strike here in less than a month. And I don't want to talk a lot about it because, of course, anything that is dealing with collective bargaining, particularly when you're in bargaining, which we still are in bargaining, uh, according to the collective bargaining uh, rules and law. Uh, in fact, we're in, quote, the cooling off period where we still have a mediation session set up for next Wednesday. Uh, but, you know, so kind of want to just uh, not so much um, talk specifics or anything like that. If you want specifics, uh, the actual offers, final offers from the union, the final offer from the county are on our, our um, county website, or you can go to the uh, Oregon uh, 
labor relations page and they're there also so that you can actually see them in, in a format where you know it's not even us it's the state that's posted the, the offers and you can look them over but i just you know uh want to say that that um lane county really appreciates our employees and you know it's easy for people to get into the typical public employee bashing and and, and get very negative and uh, just remember that, you know, collective bargaining is a right under our Constitution. You know, there's a freedom to associate and uh, folks can choose to, to associate through a, through a union and to try and uh, negotiate with their employer as a group rather than as individuals. And that's something that's allowed under our law. And our employees are just exercising their rights under the law right now. Uh, to collective bargaining, and uh, I can't, you know, say uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're, they're doing, you know, and their union is doing, you know, what unions are supposed to do because that's why they exist. Is they're trying to get the maximum uh, benefit for the employees that are members of the union. Uh, so, just want to say. Uh, our employees you know, do some pretty incredible work. Uh, I do believe that Lane County has been uh, negotiating uh, with uh, good intent and, and has been trying to come to an agreement. We, I believe we've made a fair offer and uh, I'm hoping that things get worked out. And we don't have to go through the stress of a strike I have been at an organization that's gone through a strike. I was at the Eugene Water Electric Board when they went on strike. Um, it wasn't a pleasant environment. Uh, folks ended up that or members of that bargaining unit ended up mad at other folks in the bargaining unit because they kind of felt like the strike wasn't really necessary. They lost eight days of pay that they never got back. Uh, the only thing the union gained was an agreement to add uh, Veterans Day to paid holidays and seeing they had already were a year into a three year contract. They only got two paid holidays, but lost eight days of regular pay. So there was a net loss of six days of pay for union members. There was kind of some anger um, about that whole thing uh, afterwards. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's the, you know, who crossed the line, who didn't cross the line, who actually did some of, you know, I got, you know, I was an exempt employee and a non-union member. Uh, so I got uh, reassigned to do some work that I was qualified to do that a union member would normally do. So there's some, you know, animosity about the fact that I, you know, was actually assisting in, in management, being able to keep the place running. But uh, tough when you're a registered professional engineer and one of the tenets of being a professional engineer is to protect public health and there's nothing more important than running a safe water system. And that's what part of what my assignment was doing was to help keep the water system running. Uh, so it, it, it puts everybody in a tough way when you end up in a strike situation. So hoping we won't get to that, hoping our employees and, and the union and and uh, Lane County can come to agreement, but it's uh, you know, one of those things that just happens and they are exercising their rights under the law and, and there's no reason to hold direct animosity towards uh, individual members of that union for being part of that union that's doing that. Um, hopefully we can all come to agreement and uh, move on because I think, I think uh, you know, that that's what's more important is to, to try and try and do things right, you know, and, and have a good working relationship with our employees. We've managed to settle with five other unions, a very similar contract, uh, and uh, hopefully we can get get there with the uh, assets. Well, I've managed to muddle my way through another edition of Bo's Nose Show really like to get you in on the next one next week here at four o'clock on KRBN Internet Radio. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back here live in beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week and have a good night. 
All righty, we are clear. Cool.